the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Democrats in Congress have passed landmark bills covering health, tax, and climate policy. Still, they may suffer in the midterms. So why aren't they getting more credit? Chica Dalmia and Ryan Cooper join us to discuss the outlook of Democrats ahead of the midterms. Then the DCCC spent almost half a million dollars in a competitive Republican Michigan primary. Was this improper or just good strategy? Brown University political scientist Wendy Schiller joins us to discuss this and more. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today. I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson. President Joe Biden's approval rating is low. It is terribly, maybe even surprisingly low. Biden's approval rating is now at 39%, one of the lowest presidential approval ratings in history since the end of World War II. This all brings us to a simple question. Why? What is driving such discontent with the sitting president who was supposed to bring us all together? It's not as if Biden hasn't gotten things done. He passed COVID support with the American Rescue Plan. He facilitated a $1 trillion infrastructure deal. The CHIP Act recently passed, which will invest in our domestic supply chains. And now, maybe most importantly, he passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which has historic investments in clean energy, adequate funding for the uh, internal Uh, revenue service, and allows Medicare to negotiate the prices of a number of prescription drugs. But no one seems to care that much, or at least that's what Biden's polling numbers say. And the Democrats in general don't seem much better off heading into the midterms. So where does that leave us? Why are Americans so dissatisfied? What is it they want broadly? To discuss this, we have a guest who's frequently on to answer the question. Sheikha Dolmia is a visiting fellow with the George Mason University Mercatus Center. And there she started a program to study the rise of right-wing popularism, populism. And she identifies as a progressive libertarian. Sheikha Dolmia, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm happy to have you on, especially with this question, because... It is a very confusing time, it would seem. Historically low uh, approval ratings, though. People always say they want Congress and the government to get things done. Uh, Inflation is on everyone's minds, Sheikha. Would lowering inflation be the change? Is this just an issue of inflation, or what do people really want to see in this country? Um, Yes. So I think inflation is definitely something that is driving uh, Biden's approval rating down. Uh, but some of what you are seeing is not all that unusual, right? Uh, presidents begin with a high approval rating and then it summits as they go on uh, to the midterm. And usually their party does not do well uh, in the midterms. I mean, it's, that's been the case except for two times in, in, the, in this century. I think the problem with Biden is that he actually started with a lower approving rate, approval rating than most presidents. Um, I think only Trump had low, uh, lower approval ratings than uh, Biden did when he first started. Yeah. Uh, George W. Bush uh, was 12 percentage, uh, 12 percentage points higher than him, even though it was a contested election, um, as did Bill Clinton. And... So given that he started with a lower than normal approval rating, where he is now is not all that surprising given all the headwinds that he is facing. Uh, inflation is one. The war with uh, Russia is another. You know, he is, his entire presidency has taken place during an, a pandemic. Um, and so... That is not surprising. What is surprise, What is concerning over here is just that we expect so much from Biden, given that Republicans are in such a bad place. And if 
uh, the House shifts to Republicans, as most expect that it will, um, and the Senate may as well, uh, then, uh, you know, things get really polarized and sticky yeah. for this country. Yeah, very good points there, especially in the current climate with just a narrow, if not even a majority, a tied Senate, tie-breaking vote with uh, Vice President Harris. Uh, it really is a razor's edge to get things done, but people say they want to get things done. And we also are joined right now by Ryan Cooper, who is the managing editor at the American Prospect, a progressive media outlet. Ryan, I want to bring you in on this conversation because considering the narrow margins that uh, the president has to work with, and the fact that people say they want Congress to get things done. With Biden's ratings so low, even though he's gotten things done, why are his ratings so bad? Well, um, you know, I think uh, Sheikha pointed to a lot of the the problems, the, the, the issues that are dogging him. You know, I think that it's worth um, contrasting, you know, his early period, what happened when he first took office, was he passed this giant, hugely aggressive, you know, stimulus um, slash pandemic rescue thing with, you know, straight up cash money checks to almost everyone. And then uh, basically nothing happened for 18 months. You know, the Congress was just dithering, going back and forth. They passed the thing through the House that was, you know, like $3.5 trillion. And then it went to the Senate and Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema just slowly and agonizingly amputated every, almost everything out of it, except the climate stuff. There was this huge proposed expansion of the welfare state, you know, basically a child allowance that was in the American Rescue Plan for a year, assuming that it would be, you know, preserved. Nope, Manchin killed that too. Yeah. Basically, ninety percent of what was in the, the Biden agenda, only the climate stuff, is left, and it's and a slight adjustment to Obamacare um, payments. And I think that um, what Democrats want to see, especially, I mean, this is the big difference between Biden and Trump, is that he has comparatively weak approval ratings among his own base, especially young people. Um, is that they want. They expect, you know, the government to act, to do something to fix, like, the problems besetting us on every side that are just undeniable from, you know, the pandemic to climate change to the healthcare system being totally dysfunctional and any of a, a thousand other things. Yeah. And just for 18 months, you know, the government wasn't doing anything. And I think that was really frustrating, you know, um, you know, speaking to myself as like a, an older millennial type, uh, you know, that that it just it seemed like the government just doesn't work anymore. And the whole American constitutional experiment was just sort of crumbling. And here you have this like increasingly sort of fascist Trumpified Republican Party poised to seize power again. Um, and yet now we have passed a whole bunch of stuff all at once. Um, and so I would I would be curious to see. I think that his number, his approval rating among his own base, at least, will jump considerably now that we've got a climate bill. You know, the thing that that uh, Democrats uh, say they care about the most. But yeah, it, it hasn't been a great experience as a you know Democrat being like, okay, Manchin, what do you want? Him saying, well, you tell me what you want, and then you know just going around and around. Not fun. Well, yeah, I understand it's not fun. But one of the things that Biden did run on was the fact that he could make deals, make tough deals with the votes that you need in order to get things done. However, uh, another thing that he promised to run on was bringing back us back to a sense of normalcy. And a couple of things that we expect moderates and uh, moderate conservatives to like about uh, President Biden would be his ability to work across the aisle and his uh, ability to bring government back to a sense of normalcy after the Trump years. So this leads me to a question for you, Sheikha. Uh, to the extent that uh, moderates say that's what they want, is Biden uh, popular with moderates? And if not, why isn't he? Yeah, you know, just to pick up a little bit on Ryan's point here, uh, Biden's approval rating is... Uh, not all that surprising among Republicans, right? He's got a 12 uh, percentage uh, support among Republicans. Uh, the real issue is the Democratic base, right? His approval in the Democratic base is just 75 percent. And for every previous president, uh, including Trump, in their own party, their support has been 
you know, in the high 80s or the 90s. So there is definitely a problem with his own democratic base, but he also is not getting independence. Independent support is like about 35%, right? And he needs to improve that as well. Now, the problem is what independents may want and what the democratic base may want are two different things. The base may be happy with the kinds of policies that Ryan has just, you know, mentioned, uh, aggressive spending bills, uh, climate change uh, bills, and what have you. It's not clear that independents who tend to be, you know, a little bit more on the Republican side, on the conservative side, are going to be... Uh, happy with those policies. Look, uh, you know, he passed um, the Corona relief package last year, which was pretty big. And what was part of what, what did he do? There were a number of things he did, one of which was he gave everybody about a $1,500 check, as Ryan mentioned. Now, people are happy with that check. They are, you know, they'll put it in their bank, but it doesn't fundamentally change the circumstances of their life. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it's it's just $1,500 extra, but, you know, over the long run, are they going to get good jobs? Are they getting good wages? None of that is affected by that. And that's what he's being held accountable, accountable for, I think, at least among the independents and the, you know, the moderates. And uh, so he's got a dilemma. Who should he cater to? Should he go to the moderates and try and give them what they want? Or should he go to the progressive base? which is, you know, uh, quite a bit more progressive than your average American. We're speaking with Sheikha Dalmi of George Mason University, as well as Ryan Cooper, the managing editor at, editor at the American Prospect here on 101.9 WDET and Detroit Today. And uh, Ryan, I want to bring you back into the conversation then, because from what I'm hearing, right, is that uh, Biden is in this pickle right now where uh, he can't be if he goes further to the left than the moderates who he for his election won't like him. And if he goes further to the right, then the progressives aren't going to like him. So is this just an impossible situation for him to be in in order to even get numbers that we would uh, hope or expect would be good looking forward to or looking ahead to the midterms? I don't think it's impossible. You know, the <clears throat> what uh, what Biden's been passing, you know, the, the the one irony here is that, you know, he can't, he ran as a guy who could do deals with the Republicans, and he actually has done a number of bipartisan bills. Like most recently, we had this huge semiconductor bill that's a, that was passed on a bipartisan basis. There's the veterans health care thing that was passed on a bipartisan basis. Um, all this aid to Ukraine. Um, and nobody cares. Uh, it's just it. It's 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 been at a um, you know, it just doesn't move the the political needle at all. Uh and so I, I think that, you know, what you're looking at, in addition to the sort of structural problems that, that Chico was talking about, uh, is the fact that, um, you know, Biden is, is uh, uh, he's not the most uh, energetic guy, you might say. Uh. You know, it's interesting to contrast him with the previous two presidents. You had Obama. Um, you know, one of the most char- uh, charismatic presidents in American history, excellent orator, you know, was really on top of the then, you know, um, you know, cutting edge, you know, Internet, email lists, uh, you know, YouTube, that sort of thing. Trump, uh, master of social media in his own incredibly weird fashion. But, you know, you can't deny that he was president and he moved like the coverage of himself and his uh, agenda in a way uh, that that was you know, just c- completely weird, but effective. And Biden is just like not really there. And something you hear uh, talking to Democrats a lot, especially younger ones, is that he's just too old. And I think it's not necessarily his age, but just that he seems that he's not really up to the task and he's not present in the sort of messaging battle in a way that Trump was, in a way that Obama was, mm. especially. Mm. Um, and, you know, you could you could imagine a sort of package of policies that would be basically aimed at the sort of broad middle of of the of society from kind of independence over to, you know, your sort of progressive types, um, you know, like some moderate health care reform, some stuff to get prices down, um, more or less, you know, what what has been passing to some degree. I mean, you could ask for more for sure. But the question is, you know, then how do you sell it? Um, how do you make it clear that that this is the 
you know, the responsibility of Biden, that, that, that we're, we're out there, we are taking charge, energetic leadership and so on. And, uh, you know, I think if he were 20 years younger, it would be a different story. But you just don't really see him in the mix very much and, I, and adds another obstacle to him kind of like seizing the, the opportunity over yeah. the next couple of months. It is a point that you hear a lot. And that brings us to a comment we have from Alex on t- Twitter, who says, we went from charisma to cardboard with Obama to him. His policies can be popular, but Americans are dissatisfied with life overall. And he's an easy punching bag. I think that speaks to your point that you just mentioned uh, with regard to uh, the need for marketing, the need for uh, social media savvy, more energy, maybe more dank memes will help uh, with the Biden administration. I'm not sure. But I do want to get back to you, Sheikha, on this discussion. Uh, I give you an opportunity to piggyback off of, uh, of what Ryan just said there. Yeah, I, you know, uh, one of the great virtues of Biden, for me at least, was that try as you might, you couldn't turn him into a cult figure, right? Like Trump could turn himself into. I mean, he right. is old. He's sort of milk toast. And what the country, in my view, really needed was not a transformative president or a, a you know, cult of the presidency, but just a normal human being, right, yeah. who's in the White House. The problem is that we are living in this time of affective polarization, negative polarization, We, where, you know, we hate the other party more than we, in fact, love our own, let alone the country. And so what he is doing in terms of making deals with the other side, getting past the gridlock, is not satisfying to either side, right? right. I mean, they... He doesn't get point with Republicans because, uh, you know, they don't care. He's a Democrat. They just hate him no matter what. And he doesn't get points with Democrats because they hate Republicans. So this kind of reaching across the aisle and bipartisanship is not what is going to uh, move the political needle right now. What you needed was actually sort of an Obama-like figure, right, who could cut through the negative polarization and come up with sort of like the soaring rhetoric of uniting the country. There is no red America. There is no blue America. There is a United States of America. Somebody like that might have been able to cut through kind of like this, uh, you know, this uh, huge knot of um, negative polarization. And to that extent, Biden was not the man for the moment. You know, to me, he was like a stopgap measure. The, you know, the Republicans are in a very, very dark place. And he was the least offensive alternative that pretty much everybody everybody could agree on for the time being, while we tried to get you know, the Republicans to come to a better place. And you had two healthy, sensible political parties duking it out again and responding to the normal rules of politics. That has not, that, you know, Biden has not been able to do. And I think that's, that's partly what's being reflected in his, uh, in his polling. Yeah, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. Uh, Politicians like Barack Obama, pretty generational. I don't think they just grow on trees, but to the extent that you can find another one, yes, that would probably solve a lot of your problems. But for you out there listening right now, we want to bring you into the conversation as well. What do you think of the Democrats' efforts to fund more, or excuse me, What uh, we want to talk to you about what you've been thinking about in terms of the Biden administration thus far. Do you like the legislation? that President Biden has helped pass? Uh, what do you like, think of his outward stance on the world? And what do you think about what we've been saying? Does he just appear too uh, old and not energetic for you? Are you looking for someone who energizes you more? What would it take for a politician now in the presidency to get above 50 percent or get approval rating that's not underwater like it is right now. Give us a call. 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Right now, I'm going to go to Anthony, who's driving on I-94. Anthony, welcome on Detroit Today. Well, thank you so much, Nick. Good morning. Good morning. Um, yeah, well, you guys touched on it. Biden is, uh, personally, he's individually showing signs of old age, you know, or just kind of out of touch. Uh, and you can't discount or get rid of his history. You know, he passed some pretty momentous legislation in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s that uh, a lot of people don't like. I, I don't want to name those, but 
Uh, and then just the way things are going in the world right now, uh, we're basically almost at war with two nuclear countries, and uh, that's not good. But I, you know, we could be in that situation with either of the parties because they both are pretty war tendencies. They have war tendencies, and then just in terms of the big legislation they've passed, well, they campaigned on two thousand dollar checks, and then they gave out sixteen hundred dollar checks, and. The rest of that COVID was a bunch of money for vaccines and PPP. Well, I don't know too many people who kept their jobs, even though they had the Mm -hmm. PPP. And then the CHIPS Act, well, that to me, honestly, that's just a big corporate giveaway. So uh, I don't, yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate your uh, points there, Anthony. Ryan, I'm going to give you an opportunity to to respond. It seems like Anthony is bringing up a lot of dissatisfaction that people have. Uh, Biden's prior record in terms of voting, people knew that when they were voting for him for presidency in the first uh, place. So I don't know how much that would factor into their approval ratings. But Alex, I want to give you an or excuse me, uh, Ryan, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Yeah, the, the I mean, you know, the points are well taken. The CHIPS Act is bipartisan and therefore, yeah, basically corporate handouts and, um, you know, uh, the defense budget. That's what you can get through on a bipartisan basis. Yeah, right. um, but I, I do think it's worth, you know, putting this into a little bit of context. So you had the uh, the American Rescue Plan in, in March 2021 that was roughly twice the size of the Recovery Act in 2009. And now, you know, we, we've had a couple more bipartisan bills, and now we have the biggest climate bill in American history by like an order of magnitude. Right. Um, really big and aggressive stuff. And this happened with a 50-50 Senate. Um, and, uh, you know, as we remember back in 2009, Obama had 59 votes. He had 60 votes for, for a few weeks before right. they bungled the uh, Massachusetts special election. Remember right. that? that? Yes, I remember day. it. I remember it well. Um, You're bringing up and I, dramatic I moments. Think this, go, just go, keep going. Spe- <laughs> It speaks to the the lack of salesmanship. You know, they have a, a pretty decent, you know, uh, uh, stuff at least to sort of boast about. And and um, you know, it's just it hasn't been uh, um, you know packaged in a way to like sort of break through the the noise. I think yeah. uh, in a, in a especially given the constraints that they're working under. You know, to be like, look, we have we have literally zero margin for error in the Senate and still we're we're delivering some wins for you. So if you give us another couple of senators, we have, for example, like codification of Roe versus Wade that we could pass. They're not really doing that, but like, you know, the the it's the the lack of sort of like aggressive um, propaganda, for lack of a better word, really really shows. Uh, we're talking again on Detroit today, talking about Biden, what he's recently passed, and still has poor poll numbers. Are the Democrats going to get creamed in the midterms? We want to hear from you three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. And coming up, we will take your calls on Detroit today. We've got Vanetta in Detroit and Perry in Detroit. You keep locking in. We're going to get to you guys and continue our conversation here maybe we need a marketing expert maybe a marketing expert can tell us how we can package this i'll uh, ask chica and ryan when we return as detroit today continues on 1019 wdet WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, and I am Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson as we are speaking with wonderful guests. We have Ryan Cooper joining us as well as Sheikha Dalmia, but we also want to hear from you talking about the Democrats passing legislation but still uh, facing headwinds in the midterms. We want to hear from you right now, and right now we're going to hear from Vanetta in Detroit. Vanetta, you're on Detroit Today. Hey, good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, <laughs> sorry. No worries. Yeah, I voted for Biden, and I'll vote for him again. I, I mean, the, I think we put too much um, emphasis on poll ratings. I don't think that that is really telling of who he is and the work that he's doing. And I just think that that's that's our wrong focus. It's just even the amount of attention the media puts on it. I don't, I don't 
necessarily think that's like, a, I mean, it's like a popularity contest. Um, so, which is to me kind of, it sounds very American actually, but it's not the substance of what uh, I will base my vote on, not on the poll. Well, that, that is very good. Although, Vanetta, did I hear a sense of resignation in your voice when you said, I will be voting for <laughs> Biden again? Well, I mean, who else will there be I mean, <laughs> in terms of um, from the Democratic um, Party? If uh, I mean, if someone else were going to run, which is not likely, um, then or if, if uh, the vice president stepped up, then she would get my vote. However, more than likely, it will be uh, President Biden running again. So, I mean, yeah, I guess there, I don't I like the direction he's putting the he's directing okay, the country yeah. in, or at least trying to direct the country in. Um, I don't necessarily think that the Republican candidate will take it in the same direction. So, yeah, I guess it is like a resign to <laughs> go with that. I pre- appreciate your call, Vanetta. Thank you for uh, bringing in your point. Sheikha, I'll give you an opportunity to sp- respond to the caller. So, yes, look, uh, there is no doubt about it that Biden is not a good salesman for his accomplishments. And there, I, you know, and there are quite a few. He got the country out of Afghanistan, which was, you know, uh, it was a quagmire that was deeply unpopular with both sides. Right. We've been in that war for over 20 years. And, you know, after initially, uh, uh, you know, mismanaging it a little bit, he got the country out. Now, that should count for something. He just got a major terrorist, Al-Qaeda terrorist. And although I don't like these, uh, you know, I'm a fiscal conservative, so I'm quite dubious uh, about all these big spending bills that he has passed. But, you know, uh, he accomplished something. And he has not been a good salesman for for his positions. And what I, I heard your caller say was she'll vote for Biden because there is no other great alternative out there. He's, again, you know, the the least bad alternative. The problem is that when he's running, perhaps in 2024, that matters, perhaps. It doesn't right. matter in the midterms. In the midterm, people are going to vote uh, to some ex- to a large extent about, you know, what they feel about the other party and how they are doing, you know, how their bread and butter issues are doing. And on that, I, you know, Biden and Democrats are just facing tremendous headwinds, wins, I'm sorry, because, you know, even yeah. I, I actually think many of the bills that have been passed are going to make inflation worse. They are not going to make a tremendous difference in people's lives. But even if they were going to help and, you know, help for a little while, the effect may not kick in in the next few months when it is most relevant right. for the fate of the Democrats in Congress. So I am deeply worried about Democrats yeah. because even though I don't like a lot of what they are doing, I'm more afraid of the Republicans right now. <laughs> the, the lesser of two evils is a reoccurring theme of the conversation <laughs> today as we move next to Eileen in Brighton. Eileen, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hi. I just think it's very sad that the country is so addicted to sensationalism and doesn't know how to look at what our legislative bodies are actually doing, that they are disapproving. Because he's got more done than than several presidents in a row due to the gridlock. Yeah. Eileen, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that you raise excellent point, like we've been mentioning with all of the gridlock that is happening and the difficulty of passing things with only 50 senators, one of those being from West Virginia, a very conservative place. You would hope that would count for something, I believe, if you were in the Democratic Party. Ryan, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the caller. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean... Part of that, I would say, is the responsibility of, you know, the president and the Democratic Party. You know, you you look like forget about Trump or Obama. Think about Franklin Roosevelt, the best president in American history. He was a master of the most advanced communication technology of his day, namely radio, you know, with his famous fireside chats. Um, And then when television started to be developed in the 40s, he got right onto that. But he was, you know, carefully explaining uh, what he was doing and how it worked in ways that were, you know, um, uh, assumed general competence of the the population. And I think it, you know, people 
people can get it. It's it's hard uh, to break through the noise, but it's not impossible, I don't think. You know, and it's, it's just something you have to try uh, and you have to, it's maybe more difficult today because there is so much other media out there. Yeah. But it's, um, you know, the record is pretty good. You know, I think the Democrats have a decent... Uh, chance in the in the midterms with the the package they've they've put together over the last two years, uh, and you know it's just a question. I keep coming back to it, but a a question of basic you know uh, political messaging and um, you know talking to people in medium where they're at. Well, I'm going to give you both the opportunity then to suggest what that message should be if you have ideas. But before I do that, Eileen, before I let you go, I want to make sure I didn't cut you off. If you had another point. My point was just that people need to pay attention to what the whole government's doing, not just the president. I don't think you need a rah-rah person like Trump to address people's basic intellect. I mean, I think that people need to be educated and they need to put some effort into it. They say the older people aren't in touch. Well, I have more time now to pay attention to what's going on in the country than I ever have, and I'm almost 70. Yeah. Very well said. Very well said, Eileen. I really appreciate your points. And, of course, the population, the older population, gets out and votes more. So that is one of the reasons why we end up with some of the politicians we do. They're not necessarily on social media as much, but they certainly get out and make their vote heard. And right now we're going to hear from Kevin in Sterling Heights. Kevin, you are on Detroit Today. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, a very uh, robust conversation we're having. Um, for me, to be honest, these are very, very difficult and tough times to govern a country that is this diversified and divisive politically, most especially considering what he inherited from the previous administration. The division is still there. The man is still struggling to see how he gets things done. Yeah. I don't know who they are polling. They should come and poll me. This is one of the best presidents ever, ever, in a difficult time like this. Kevin. Yes, the, messaging, the messaging might not be good enough, but come on, man. This guy is doing stuff. He's doing stuff. I will vote him again, to be honest. I'll vote him again. Kevin, in Sterling Heights, maybe we need to get your number down and get you to the Biden administration. Maybe you're the marketing that they need out there. Thank you so much for calling. Sheikha, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to Kevin. Is this the messaging point that the Biden administration should be using in order to get those numbers up ahead of the midterms? Yeah, look, here is what I think. Um, the the Republicans are going to run on culture wars. They are going to turn everything into a culture war. And you're seeing that in the Michigan gubernatorial race, right, yeah. where you have Tudor Dixon, who is a, sort of a red meat kind of conservative, not maybe the most red meat conservative who was out there in the primaries, but certainly quite red meat. And you have Gretchen Whitmer. And I think I think what the Democrats should not do is get sucked into this culture war game and keep making it about bread and butter economic issues. Now, I will disagree with Democrats on a whole lot of what they are doing. I don't think many of the bills that they have passed are going to be helpful for inflation. I think uh, the bill they have just passed called the Inflation Reduction Act is actually going to do the opposite because of how much money it's going to pump into the economy. But I think they need to keep making it about policy and what needs to be done to make the uh, lives of average Americans better and stay away from the culture wars and that Republicans you know, run on that and then burn themselves out. So I would tell Biden and I would tell all the Democrats who are running to just keep hammering away on those economic and uh, bread and butter issues and, uh, you know, let Republicans come look yeah. as the extremists that they are right now. Uh, that, that dovetails very good into our next call as we have Perry in Detroit. Perry, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Yes. And thank you for uh, taking the call. Listen, I'm calling from Detroit, Ontario, and I'm African-American, and I'm a Republican. And I used to vote Republican um, under, uh, like, Bush 1. But listen, I would stand in line 
with my clothes soaked in gasoline and run through a burning house to vote for Biden and every other Democrat in office again. I mean, That's I believe the country is so much smarter than the one third of the noise that we're hearing. I mean, just look at what this administration has done. As a veteran, they have degraded the uh, military of Russia without losing an American life. They're trying to address uh, the climate change. They're trying to make the country a little bit more representative in our institutions. Uh, I mean, just look at the mess that we just came from, where we had deliberate separation of Americans put into corners uh, of tribalism. I mean, just... Uh, and I, I, I don't want to start. And when you talk about uh, conservative red meat cultural issues, what are we really yeah. saying? Right. That's the underlying of uh, a uh, 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 race. Uh, listen, uh, I just think that Americans, that silent, what they used to call the moral majority, but that silent majority, the ones that's not on Fox News, CNN, or even calling into shows like this, I believe that they are so much smarter than what the media is portraying them out to be. I believe that the average American, because they are looking at uh, bread and butter issues, um, may be reluctant, but I believe that they will vote uh, Democrats. I mean, look at the, the yeah. crazy coming from the Republican side. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they have to vote on and make it about cultural issues because they aren't doing anything substantial or concrete about real issues. Harry, so, uh, I, I, lo- I love the call. I love your points. I, we've only got a little bit longer with our guests, so I want to give them an opportunity to respond. And one thing I will note, Perry, and again, thank you so much for your call. Last numbers I saw, uh, Biden had a base where he uh, had a 62% job approval rating among African-American voters, a very significant block for the Democrats. Uh, So I think that lines up with what Perry is saying, but I want to give you, Ryan, an opportunity to respond to the caller. Yeah, I I think that you're, I mean, that tends to demonstrate what he said about running through, you know, fire and gasoline. Pretty good. For Democrats. There's a there's a, you know, people feel that the the basic structure of the country and the, the fact that democracy is under threat. And that's where I would differ with um, Sheikha's recommendation. Um, I do think, you know, definitely Trump at the economic achievements. We're at 3.5% unemployment rate, uh, the lowest in like 50 years. Um, somehow that never gets a lot of um, mainstream media coverage compared to inflation. Um, but I think also you really can't leave the culture war stuff, the really red meat stuff uh, on the on the table entirely, and particularly the issue of abortion. Um, here's an area where Republicans have really put themselves far out on a limb public opinion wise, saying that like, no, our affirmative policy is we're going to force 10 year old rape victims to bear their assailants children. And that's what they're going to try to do. And they're going to try to overturn democracy in my home state of Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, the guy running uh, for governor, mm-hmm. he was at January 6th, you know, yeah. like like we're talking about just, a you know, stormtroopers, brown shirts type of people who are going to end uh, democracy and set up a sort of national Jim Crow state. And that, you know, I think is like the mobilizing passions, like like uh, uh, the fellow was talking about, like like stirring the blood, you know, and getting people riled up to to go and vote. I think that you can't. Uh, ignore that aspect of politics yeah, yeah. in addition to, you know, all of the ec- significant economic achievements we've been yeah, talking about. Yeah. She could tell me, uh, Ryan Cooper, I wish I could talk to you all day, but I can't. <laughs> I got to let you go right now. But thank you so much for coming on Detroit today. You got to promise me you both will come back soon. OK. <laughs> Sure thing. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Nick. This is 101.9 WDET in Detroit. Today, coming up, we are going to discuss the DCCC, Democrats spending money in Republican primary elections. Is this improper meddling or is it appropriate? We're going to speak with uh, Wendy Schiller, professor and chair of political science at Brown University next. And you keep it locked right here.
This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson. Last week in the Republican primary, former Trump administration official and 2020 election denier John Gibbs beat Representative Peter Meyer. Meyer was one of only 10 Republicans to vote to impeach Donald Trump for his involvement in the January 6th insurrection. The Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee spent $435,000 in the final stretch of the race on ads claiming Gibbs was too extreme for West Michiganders. In that race, Meyer lost by less than 400,000 votes. Here's Representative Meyer discussing the campaign. So we had a scenario where not only did I have the former president aligned against me, uh, but in a rare showing of bipartisan unity, Nancy Pelosi and the House Democratic Campaign Committee also united to try to knock me off the ballot. Now, this just highlights the cynicism and hypocrisy of our politics today. And frankly, it'll be unknowable what that ultimate impact was. But the fact that we have the establishment left and the extreme right locking arms in common cause uh, paints a very telling picture of where our politics are in 2022. To a casual observer, it would appear he is the type of politician that the opposing party might be able to work with and get things done. Yet the DCCC spent money in his primary race to alter the outcome. Why did Democrats spend so much in a Republican primary? Do they really think John Gibbs is too extreme for West Michigan? And what if their gamble doesn't pay off? Wendy Schiller is someone who has been thinking a lot about these questions. She is the chair of political science and a professor of international and public affairs at Brown University. She tracks elections and how coalitions form to gain power, and she is here with us now. Professor Schiller, welcome back to Detroit Today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, You were recently cited in a PolitiFact article discussing Democrats taking sides in Republican primaries. So before my question for you, let's play the ad the DCCC ran in the Myers-Gibbs race for our listeners. John Gibbs is too conservative for West Michigan. Handpicked by Trump to run for Congress, Gibbs called Trump the greatest president and worked in Trump's administration with Ben Carson. Gibbs has promised to push that same conservative agenda in Congress, a hard line against immigrants at the border, and so-called patriotic education in our schools. The Gibbs-Trump agenda is too conservative for West Michigan. DCCC is responsible for the content of this advertising. Professor Schiller, everything in that ad appears to my ears to be something the DCCC genuinely believes. So why do you believe this ad damages democracy? Well, I, I think that in some of the cases that the Democrats have gotten involved in, particularly a very high-profile case of the, the Mastriano, who won the nomination in in, um, in Pennsylvania, uh, is that it promotes uh, people who are literally destabilizing democracy. They are actively destabilizing what we believe about elections, our faith in the electoral system. They're sort of standing in the way of moving forward with the Biden administration, whether you oppose them or like, that's the person who won the election. Uh, and so it creates, it, it, it keeps alive this notion that the election was stolen and that we should not have faith in our electoral system. And the one thing that we have been fairly reliable on, with all of the difficulties of excluding voters over the history of our country, is that we have them written into the Constitution. Every two years, we get to vote on the House of Representatives. Every six years, you get to vote on your senator rotating uh, across time slots. So uh, when you think about, I mean, uh, tenure uh, of senators who have different uh, uh, times in office, they're elected at different times. So when we have that, we believe that these elections matter and that we should all go vote. Uh, and now the Democrats are actively contributing uh, to the propagation of ideas uh, that say, hey, the vote is rigged, that your vote doesn't count, that people are stealing the vote, uh, and they're undermining the fundamental premise that keeps us a democracy. So with ads like that, um, it's my understanding that, uh, I, I mean, I hear your point there. What I would wonder is, do you have uh, any statistics or evidence or anything that you've seen that shows that when meddling occurs like that from the DCCC, it actually has an effect on these races? 
Well, that's, that's great. And believe me, there are many political scientists this year who are running those what we call natural experiments right now, yeah, yeah. and their work will be published probably uh, early in 2023, and we're going to find out. We're going to find out if a voter switched their vote in the Republican primary based on this ad, uh, based on these, these kinds of uh, survey experiments, and then we're also going to find out what they do in November. Now, the DCCC can say to its contributors, because if you've given to the DCCC, you've given to elect Democrats. Yeah. I'm not sure you give uh, the money so that they can run ads in Republican primaries. But that ad you just ran can be used in the general election as well. So the argument that DCCC can make is, well, we just started running our ads early to persuade voters to vote Democratic all the way, uh, and it just happened to influence the Republican primary. Right, right. Uh, we're speaking again with Professor Wendy Schiller here on 1019 WDET in Detroit today. And uh, Professor Schiller, in multiple Michigan primary elections, uh, outside money came in. For example, the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, also known as APAC, spent a lot of money on local congressional elections. What is the distinction between outside money in politics as opposed to the inside money uh, from uh, the DCCC in this instance spending uh, where they would like in politics? Well, I mean, that, you're raising an excellent point about the role of money and the role of what we call special interest groups in affecting campaigns. You know, the American um, APAC, um, 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 uh, that committee is concerned with support for Israel. So they put money across the country in all these races to persuade members of Congress, uh, Republican and Democrat, actually, to support uh, uh, Israel, the state of Israel, American support for Israel. That's what they do, and they're very transparent about what they do. That's what they're advocating for. In this case, it's just not so clear why the DCCC would run any ad mentioning the opponent, uh, the Republican opponent, right? It's just slightly less uh, clear justification for getting into the race and spending a good amount of money. And what happens, you know, the Democrats are outraising the, the Republicans right now at the Senate level. Uh, I think they're relatively even at the House level at the moment. Uh, but what happens if you start to run out of money in the general election for the Democrats, who are fighting really to save five, six, seven seats across the board? You're going to need a lot of money for that. And now they've already spent them nominating people they thought couldn't win the general, but may turn out to be quite strong candidates, as we're seeing in um, the Pennsylvania governor's race, and they're going to have to spend more money than they thought. So not only could it gamble in terms of what happens in the election, but it's going to cost them more, I think, uh, because these candidates are turning out to be, at least at the moment, much more viable than they thought. Uh, excellent points there, Professor Schiller, as we are speaking again with Wendy Schiller, who has been thinking a lot about these questions. But we want to speak with you as well. 313-577-1019. What do you think of the Democrats' efforts to fund more extreme uh, or to put money into Republican primary campaigns? Are you a Democrat? Are you OK with donations being spent in the Republican primary if it gives you a better chance in the general election? Or do you think this is a poor use of funds? Also, do you think it's too risky? And for you Republicans out there, do you feel it's inappropriate for the opposing party to spend money in your primary or is all fair in love and war? We've got Frank in Livonia right now. Frank, you're on Detroit Today. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. Um, you know, I just really agree with the professor. I really, uh, this just proves a, a point to me that uh, we don't have political parties anymore. The only that, that stand for anything, that have a plank or a platform, uh, you know, I, I just think that they only stand just to be elected and to, you know, it's just a fight for power. And this is where a, a lot of us, you know, down here voting and, and uh, common consumer citizen types, we don't trust the parties not our government it's the parties that we don't trust and this is just a great point that proves it frank thank you so much for your point i do appreciate it and professor i'm going to give you an opportunity to respond because to the extent that you are someone who is beginning to be more cynical maybe uh, not think that our elect our legislatures are doing what they're supposed to do maybe this does uh, point to that but i'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond yeah, no, I mean, I think that this is, again, uh, when we have a loss of confidence in any of our major institutions, and we call political parties an institution because they really do structure a whole lot of things, right? They structure uh, legislatures, majority-minority control. They control a lot of ballot access, how we vote, you know, So, and they're longstanding. And as much as people want a third party, it's very difficult to unseat these two major parties. Now, the Republicans are also doing what they do, right? They're, they're looking to knock off moderate Democrats also in competitive 
competitive uh, districts, and they're looking to make them uh, seem too liberal. So it's not that they're not trying, but they haven't been as active in trying to swing these primaries because uh, mostly, I think, because Democrats haven't been primaried uh, the way that Republicans are. In other words, that there are more opportunities uh, for contested seats for Republicans this year uh, than in, in past years. And, um, you know, I think the, the idea that you're losing faith in the people that structure your political choices, uh, that is really, really of concern. And uh, ranked choice voting has been an option that yeah. some communities and some states are doing now. And we know that that actually tends to make voters a little happier. Mm. It, it gives people a sense of choice. And it kind of loosens the grip of the two parties over our our politics. The ranked choice voting system is very interesting. The idea that you just place in order who you want to vote for and the tally keeps running until you get at least over 50 percent. And whoever's left over at the end after you keep eliminating folks to get to the top is the winner. Gives you an opportunity to vote for who you really want. And that is an exciting idea. But, Professor Schiller, I want to give you an opportunity then, if you can wave the magic wand or institute legislation, how would you fix this issue? that you see? What should we do to fix the problem? Um, uh, you, know, you know, there's so many things that I would want to say. <laughs> so, uh, you know, to your point about special interests and the influence of money, uh, you know, I am a, uh, a promoter of free speech. I do think that, you know, when we want to err on the side of something, we should err on the side of allowing more speech, not less speech. Uh, but let's identify who's footing the bill. You know, people have these groups, uh, Citizens for a Better America. Well, who can be opposed to Citizens for a Better America? <laughs> but they may actually want, you know, to shut down, uh, you know, to pollute things or to... You know, decrease taxes for the rich or something you don't like. You don't know because you can't tell from the label. Full disclosure. Who are you? Who gave you the money? Your donor list? Um, none of this sort of like, oh, we don't have to disclose who gave us the money. Uh-uh. If you want to play in the political arena, you have to tell us who's funding you and what your real names are and what you really want. Uh, and unmask. These, uh, these people who, who hide behind, you know, tons and tons of money. I think voters would feel, uh, more educated. They'd feel more engaged and they wouldn't be as easily swayed, uh, by these very split campaigns that they think are on their side, but depending on what they need out of the government, they're not on their side at all. Professor Schiller, excellent points. Really happy that we had you in here to talk about this subject. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. My pleasure. That's going to do it for us here on 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. The show is produced by Sam Corey. Matt Trevethan is our engineer. Tune in tomorrow when we discuss uh, really good things happening. We're going to let you know uh, what you need to know on Detroit Today, so make sure you come back and join us then. And uh, when Stephen returns, we'll see you tomorrow.